0: Welcome to the Rating Room podcast. It's Jay and Andy again.
1: Uh, today we're recording another special episode. Please welcome to the Rating Room, Luke. Luke, thanks for coming on the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Hi, yeah, thanks for having me. Um So my name's Luke Arnold. Uh, I'm from London in England. Um, I've been collecting uh, James Bond memorabilia um, since I was quite quite young. Um, love the films. Go to movie premieres and stuff like that um i've even made well wrote and made my own little trailer for youtube which is a bit of fun and uh, have an instagram account called live like 007 um so yeah it's uh, everything bond um i've loved it for years and uh yeah thanks for the opportunity to come on your show
0: so listeners you need to check out luke's instagram there's loads of stuff about james bond on there and we're going to talk about um luke's collections a bit later on but before we start We've been looking at your Instagram and we've noticed you've been somewhere special in the last week. Do you just want to tell our listeners about this?
2: <laughs> yeah, um, I was quite fortunate enough um, through work to get an invite to uh, the BAFTAs in central London, um, which was amazing. They held it in the National Gallery, uh, which for all the, uh, the Bond listeners out there, obviously that's quite special to to the Craig film Skyfall, um, where he first met Q, which was awesome, because I managed to get a picture with no-one around with the uh, the, uh, the big painting in there as well. But, yeah, no, I uh, I was very lucky. Yeah, it was a fantastic event.
0: So when you are at the BAFTAs, Luke, before we just um, get into James Bond, who did you meet there?
2: <laughs> quite a few. I was quite surprised, because, you know, sometimes you think these kind of things might be like a tick box, you know, a couple of celebs will turn up and vanish very quickly just to show their face, but... um. So Michelle Yeoh was there, uh, which we all know as Wailing from Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, the lady herself, Barbara Broccoli, um, don't need to say who that is, but yeah, she was there. Um, we had uh, the legend is Brendan Fraser. Um, he turned up, and I had a a great chat with him about because um, he's one of my childhood heroes. You know, what grew up watching the Mummy and Blast from the Past and and films like that. Um, so yeah, got to have a chat with him and a selfie. Eddie Redmile, I think it's... Um, he's the guy from Fantastic Beasts, uh, from the Harry Potter franchise. Uh, Colin Farrell was there. Um, oh, the, I forget his name now, but the, the little Chinese lad that was in Indiana Jones uh, that's now in the new one that's just coming out, he was there as well. Um, so, yeah, some really, really good names. Um, and then on the night itself, uh, Remy Malek was there, Anna de Armes was there. Um, i think f- think um who else was there yeah i think they were the main ones from bond um but unfortunately no craig um but yeah so it was a, it was a really good good
1: evening that yeah, sounds really cool um without going too inside what's what's the experience like of the baftas for uh, uh for the general public versus the the big celebs did you get did you get to mingle much or is it kind of two separate experiences um how's, how does it work
2: it, it was really odd because we got these tickets and we were told where to go entrance wise. And um, it was me and my boss that went, and we ended up walking up the red carpet. And we were quite early, you know, we normally you don't want to be early to events, but I thought, ho. So we're walking up the red carpet, and there's loads of fans um, clearly waiting for celebrities. And they're all stand, like, looking at each other, going, who, who are these two? Who are these two? And it's like, Great, you know, brilliant. (laughs) So And then we went in, got a a glass of champagne each, and it sounds bad, but just loitered around. Um, But then all of these celebrities turned up, you know, um, masters of the industry, you know, cinematographers and people like that. Um, So there was a lot of people you just wouldn't really recognise. But, yeah, then the celebrities started to come through, and you could literally just walk up and chat to them. Um, and it was funny because my boss kind of broke the boundary of approaching someone for a selfie she loves Richard E Grant and he was standing there he's looking all dapper she went oh my god oh my god there he is and she literally ran over to him and went Richard and he turned around she went you don't know me but can I have a selfie and he was like oh yeah of course you can and and I think that kind of just (laughs) broke the awkwardness of there were two people there that probably shouldn't have been there. <laughs> but, you know, it was, um yeah, that was quite funny. And then obviously uh, straight after that was Brendan Fraser, which was just amazing.
0: That That's brilliant. That's really, I don't know, a bit, a bit jealous, Andy, about um, Luke's um, night out at the BAFTAs.
1: Indeed, yeah. I mean, we'll be there one day collecting our awards for this podcast, of course. Whatever. Oh, hell yeah, definitely. Especially <laughs> after this one, you know. Come on, yeah. You know, when when they cast me in the role as the next James Bond. You know, oh. I mean, <laughs> I've been auditioning throughout the podcast. I'm, you know, I'm close. <laughs>
0: so let's continue in on with the James Bond theme now. So let's get into it. And this is a similar format to our previous guest episode. So I'm going to throw the first question at you, Luke. So, what is your earliest Bond memory?
2: Earliest? So, the one that really sticks to me, um, non-collectible-wise, would be probably quite young um, and ITV decided um, to do a Bond marathon. I think it was over weekends. So, it was like every Saturday or Sunday they'd show a, a film or two. Um, and we had a VHS player in the in the TV room and I'd, I'd sit in there with a blank VHS probably most of the listeners that are young of age haven't got a clue what a VHS is these days but um and then I bang that in the machine and I'd sit there and I'd record the Bond film but I'd stop I'd stop it when it was the commercial breaks and then quickly rewind it so it was like dead on so there was like there was no breaks in the film and then wrote the movie on each uh, on the side of each VHS tape and then built the collection up so I think that's where really it started to get a bit serious <laughs>
0: Do you remember the first film? Well, that the they first watched? one. Yeah. The
2: first I watched. Well, they were, they were in order, um so that obviously Dr. No was the first, but my first ever Bond film that I'd watched was actually The Living Daylights. Um with Timothy Dalton. Um and I don't know why that just happened to be on TV. You know, they normally show them at Christmas and stuff like that, didn't they? And I don't I don't know why I watched it and I, but I put it on um, I think Eye of the Game was probably coming out at some point. So I thought, oh, let me check this out. Um, even I had a few little bits, you know, around the corgi cars and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, Living Daylights was the first one I actually saw. And I had a, a Talkboy from Home Alone 2, uh, one of those little recorders. And I, I loved the music. The opening scene where he's doing the little paintball um, kind of MI6 testing. Um, and I loved the music. And I recorded the music. So, so when I when I was young I was in a bath, I could listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> Shouldn't probably admit that, but there you go.
1: <laughs> sounds brilliant. And it's funny you mentioned the uh, the movie marathon on ITV because I've, I've mentioned this on previous episodes. It was kind of a thing when I was, I don't know, maybe 12, 13. And ITV, I think, they were, like you said, they were playing one a week. So it might have been around the same time. And then the next day in the, in the school playground, the talk was, did you see the Bond film? And it was just like... Really, really exciting at the time. And that's kind of how I got into into it as well. Um, but let's move on to the next question. So 25 films in total. Assuming you've seen them all, do you have a particular favourite?
2: I do indeed. Um, it's Casino Royale. Um, so Craig's obviously uh, first hurrah. And what a, an amazing start for for Daniel Craig, really, after all of the controversy about his blonde hair and being ugly, and he had to wear a life jacket on the River Thames. Uh, but yeah, Casino Royale is my, my favourite film.
0: Is there anything in particular that you like about what what makes it stand out from the the other Bond films?
2: I think, yeah, coming from Pierce's last run uh, with Die Another Day, which went a bit too fantastical and a bit too silly. Um, and I know they were trying to chuckle, I think it's the 50th anniversary, they're trying to chuck stuff in there for it uh, with nods and winks. So I think to have Craig step into a more gritty, Bourne-esque, even though I don't like him being paired to Bourne, but Bourne-esque kind of film. Um, Martin Campbell, phenomenal director, obviously done GoldenEye. Um, David Arnold, who does the music. It just had everything in one, one kind of go. And to show 007 getting his first couple of kills, getting his 007 grade, but also having that bit of awkwardness with M, you know, she doesn't really trust him. Should she have promoted him? And there's some classic lines. Um, and that, that ending of him in the suit walking upstairs with that massive MP5. And like, I think it was an MP5. Um, you know, Bond, James Bond. And you've been waiting for that for the whole film because he didn't say it once. And Volcombeau, like um, how do you say it? Do I look like I give a damn? You know, and all things like that. It was just it was a really awesome first film. And blessing Chris Cornell with, with the song, which I think is one of the best songs as well.
0: I know it's your favourite Bond film, but do you think Casino Royale is the strongest film for uh, introducing a new Bond actor?
2: Um, yeah, I think it made it more prominent that this is a new actor because they went back to show his him gaining his 00 status. You know, if you looked at the others, uh, you had Connery, Iconic, Round the Table, you know, I admire your courage, Mr Bond, James Bond, you know, brilliant. Uh, Lazenbiz was a little bit, I find, tongue in cheek. You know, this never happened to the other fellow looking at the screen. But you know, um, Roger moore's was great. It was just subtle. You know, he's in there necking with a lovely lady in bed. You know, which was obviously the <laughs> the whole run of Roger Moore films. Um, Brosnan's was cool. You know, the the damn jump um at the facility and uh, beg your pardon forgot to knock. You know, keeping his his face in silhouette all the way through until he. Uh, Knock someone out on the lavvy. Um, so I think it was, it's a really good intro to Craig's Bond because it started from the beginning as such. Um, and it didn't really have any ties to the old films where Brosnan still could have been the Bond from the old Living Let and th- that kind of thing. They never had like their own story book. I call the Craig films their own story book. The others don't exist. It's just Craig's story as Bond.
0: That's interesting, Andy, because you've kind of talked about that, haven't you, in terms of Daniel Craig is kind of its own little arc separate from the others. It is, yeah. And I've
1: I've tried to use that as my persuasion to get my wife watching the films because she's adamant she doesn't like Bond. I'm like, no, but this is different. You'll like this this mini Bond series of five, not the whole 25, but um, she's not having it.
0: So, Luke, you've obviously talked about your, your favourite Bond film. So looking at the other end, do you have a... a kind of the film that you struggle with or the one that you think is the worst in the franchise
2: so easy straight out octopussy 100 um bond dressed as a clown messing about that just yeah didn't didn't like it i know a lot of people don't like a view to a kill um because roger moore's a bit too old and his stunt double is obviously someone completely younger with a wig on um, and he's, um, getting off with a very young Stacey Sutton, which is a bit creepy. Um, but yeah, I just, I can't, I can't watch, watch Octopusy. I've, I've watched it a few times, obviously. I just, I just don't like it. The tuck tuck chase when you had the guy on the back batting things away with a tennis racket. And it's, I think that then went a bit too comical for Bond, um, it was more kind of taking the mickey out of Roger Moore and how, how silly he could be. Um, I, I didn't like it. It was more spoofy like the original Casino Royale for me than a, than a proper Bond film. Still, still a great film and it obviously went up against Never Say Never Again, which doesn't count, um, and it won the battle. Um, but for me, yeah, I think it's probably one of the weakest films in the whole, the whole series.
0: If me and Andy had to push you... On on octopussy, is there anything that you think is good in the film? Maud Adams, <laughs>
2: <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, she. You know, I I don't I don't click with Kamal Khan. Um, I think it's a very weird kind of villain. Um, you know, Roger Moore running away from them, hunting on elephants. Um, but yeah, more, you know, Maud Adams obviously coming from. The uh, Man with the Golden Gun, which she was in as well. So it's a bit odd that she was in those two films um, as completely different characters. But, yeah, you know, she's she's wonderful, beautiful, great, you know, lovely. That's that's the only... And Desmond Llewellyn, obviously, because he's always great. But, yeah, that's that's pretty much it for me, unfortunately. People will hate me now. They're not even going to check out my Instagram anymore now. It's <laughs> like, you'll get banned or something, so... <laughs>
1: No, I must say, it wouldn't be my worst. I think uh, regular listeners will know Moonraker is my particular pet peeve about Bond, but I think Octopus is pretty low down the list as well. Um, let's let's change tack just slightly and talk about actors. So we've briefly mentioned Craig and, and more. Um, would either of those be your favourite, or do you have another one in mind for the, for the Bond mantle?
2: It's a tricky one, and that is whenever I meet clients with the, the work I'm in, chatting to you guys, anything, any events. Oh, who's your favourite Bond? Um, and it's they've, they're have they all phenomenal. That's why we all love the series so much, because they all bring something incredibly different to the role. For me, just that kind of connection with a Bond is Pierce Brosnan. Um, GoldenEye 64, GoldenEye the movie. I was at the age where I could start to collect a little bit, you know, new watch and stuff like that. Um, and he's just great and I think he was just let down a little bit on some of the writing of the later films um, but he's a very close tie with Daniel Craig um, Daniel Craig has done wonders for the franchise for those last five films and so yeah but Brosnan I think if I had to put a gun to my head it would be Brosnan Yeah.
0: so Luke in, in your line of business I understand you've, you've met some of the Bond actors which Bond actors have you met?
2: Yes yeah, so I'm I I work in uh, in the watch industry um and I was I was quite fortunate enough uh, one day to have uh, Mr Jonathan Price um come into the store um which was amazing and I played dumb and you know I was very calm and collected and he needed uh, needed a watch repaired um and he he said you know I'll, I'll come back next time I haven't got it with me now and uh, I thought that was it I won't see him again uh, and then the next day he, he actually came in um, and then I was a little bit more dumbstruck but I still played it cool and and casually as we were just tra- talking as I was checking his watch in, um, I dropped that I, um, I'm a bit of a Bond fan, I collect Bond watches. And it was, oh yes, young man, I d- didn't know if you were aware but I've been in a Bond film and that, that's kind of where I was like, look, yeah, I uh, Mr Price, I know exactly who you are. Uh, I think I actually said Mr Carver um, which made him grin a little bit, um, and then we just sat, and it was it was awesome, um, you know, I'm at work getting paid to chat to Elliot Carver, um, and yeah, we talked about the films, He's, he owns one of Pierce Brosnan's uh, screen-used Amigas, because uh, apparently Brosnan went up to him and was like, look, which, which one do you want, you know, I don't need all of them, and he, he gave him one of his Amigas, so he's got that. And he's, he did say he'd got a, a couple of other bits from, uh, from the set, but he didn't tell me what exactly. Um, and then, yeah, I was, uh, I was quite cheeky and asked him if I could get a, a DVD that I just happen to have, obviously, as you do at work. Um, and, yeah, he signed it. And the really cool thing was he, he signed it and he put at the bottom, uh, Let the Mayhem Begin. And apparently, Jonathan Price never puts quotes from his films or anything on on anything he signs um and he he said to me he went "I've i've just put on a little quote for you there as well young man you know and that that was just awesome you know It just shows that you know these actors are amazingly nice people as well so yeah that was that was quite cool
0: so moving on obviously you've just told us who your favorite bond actor is and your favorite film etc so do you have a particular favorite theme song out of the franchise and if so what is it
2: Yes, yeah, so I I have I have two. I've put one down. I think like the main one I could listen to all the time um would be you know my name by Chris Cornell, the late Chris Cornell. Um just a fantastic song. Um punchy he- like hard rock, really good. Great vocals and I was a fan of him when he was in Soundgarden anyway. Um but that that song is fantastic and goes so well with the opening credits um of Casino Royale. It, it just works. But I think that it's very tired now with um, We Have All the Time in the World, which was one of my all-time favourite songs out of Bond anyway. Um, but I think with the end of No Time to Die, um, yeah, that, that song means quite a lot to me and it is quite a regular that's played now on my phone. I think it's even my alarm tone as well, um, just the orchestral version of it. So, um, yeah, I... You know my name is something you can listen to all the time without being sad, but I think because of the end of no time to die, now we have all the time in the world uh, brings a tear to one's eye when you when you're sitting on the train. It doesn't look too
1: good. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, it's a beautiful ending, and, and I like the callback. Obviously, they use that in on our Majesty Secret Service. So I like that they use that again, but uh, yeah, it it fits perfectly with with the film. Um, but moving on to the next question, we can't talk James Bond without talking Bond girls. So of the many Bond girls that they've been over the years, do you have any favourites? I,
2: I have two standout favourites, 100%. Um, so one would be uh, Eva Green, Vespa Lynn from Casino Royale, um, and the other would be uh, the stunningly beautiful Jane Seymour, who, who played uh, Solitaire in Live and Let Die. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet Eva Green at the Casino Royale premiere. Um, I went with my best mate, um, and it, it was phenomenal. I took a, a uh, one of the Bond on set books because I always like to try and get them signed because you can't really carry posters or anything, you know. On, when you walk in the red carpet and stuff, it looks a bit dodgy. Um, so I had the the Bond on set book, and I I was so sad. I had every page prepped with a little sticky note so I knew which actor I could jump the page too quickly, you know, because they they haven't got all the time in the world. Oh, sorry, I didn't, didn't even mean that. There you go. Um, but they haven't got the time um, to to obviously wait for you to find the right page. But I picked this there, uh, this um, this picture of Eva Green, and she's laying in a green dress on a boat on the river with a cigarette. And I'm not a fan of smoking, but she just looks incredible. And when I asked her to sign it, she said, oh, why, why, have, you, why have you picked that picture? I was like, and I don't know why, it was, it was quite sad, really. But I was like, because you look absolutely incredible. And she just grinned at me. She went, oh, thank you so much. And she signed it. Um and as she was walking away, she turned around and blew me a kiss <laughs> and my best mate punched me. I don't think he meant to punch me as hard as he did, but he did. And he was like, Oh my God, mate, she just winked at you. I was like, of course. <laughs> so pathetic. Um, but yeah, so that, that was really, really cool. Um, unfortunately I haven't had the luxury of meeting Jane Seymour. Um, but even now she still looks as incredible as she did back in, uh, in living that Die. to be honest. So, uh, Yeah, those two definitely stand out for me.
0: Have you met any other Bond gals?
2: Yeah, um, I've been uh, once again lucky enough to go to pretty much all of the Bond premieres since Die Another Day. So um, at that one, um, I was with my mum, bless her. We went to um, it was at the Royal Albert Hall. I think it was the first one that was at the Royal Albert Hall. Um, But we were there just as uh, as kind of viewers, you know, to see people turn up and everything. Um, but from Casino Royale onwards, I've been lucky enough to be on the red carpet and, and walk and mingle and stuff. So I've met all of the the Bond girls pretty much from Casino all the way to no time. Um, but older Bond girls as well, Miriam Diablo. Um, she goes to a hell of a lot of events. And she's really chatty, really lovely. On um, a Blackman, late on a Blackman, I have met, met her. Um, I'm trying to think of it. Quite quite a few of them, to be honest with you. Um, I go to a, a couple of Bond meetups in in London every now and then for events, and they um, they sometimes have if they're lucky enough to get them uh, a couple of Bond girls or extras in the movies, and they they can turn up. So yeah, I've, I've met a few of them. Michelle Yeo, obviously, the other day at the the Baftas, um, so that was quite cool to meet Wei Lin, uh from Brosnan's. Um, but that that was, I think, the only Brosnan one I've
0: I've met. So. So moving on, do you have a particular favorite villain? so this could be a main villain, one of the henchmen
2: yeah a lot of people go for all of those standouts um you know Olic Goldfinger um you know um Baron Samody, you know all those kind of villains. but you know, I really, really loved um Elliot Carver um so Jonathan Price, now that's not just because I met him and he signed something um. But he was great in that film, and I think Tomorrow Never Dies, is is kind of a forgotten one for the Brosnan film series. You know, um, everyone's golden eye, and then they they all have a go at Die Another Day, which is rightly so. But Tomorrow Never Dies, you know, is um, you know, is a, it was a really really good film, and you know Stamper, um, who was um, Elliot Carver's sidekick, you know, he was obviously originally penned to be the guy that had the bullet in the brain that had that couldn't feel any pain, but they carried that on into The World Is Not Enough instead. But Elliot Carvey, is, he's a media mogul, he's going to literally start a war because he's so out of his mind that that's going to help his ratings. And it was all that a uh, popularity thing, which I think is so, so real in today's kind of world with your TikToks and all that kind of thing. Everyone wants to try and be... Um, a celebrity on, on all these things and that's what he wanted to be he wanted to be famous but through any means and that's that's dangerous you know that's just a dangerous villain really you've got these crazy guys like wants to blow up Fort Knox and make all the gold radioactive and all things like that you know which is a fantastic side of Bond but actually Elliot Carver is a bit you know is a bit of a, a git really you know he, he wanted to cause a war and kill millions of people just so he became the top news coverage, you know. It's a pretty dodgy, uh, dodgy plan. So yeah, I I really like him, and he had some great lines. You know, there's no news like bad news and things like that. You know, it's it was just great. So yeah, for me, I think he's he's quite a standout that a lot of people tend to forget really in the franchise.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Is it's almost ahead of its time that film, and in, in in today's context, um, not really thought of it like that before.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's a crazy one. Like, and, and yeah, you know they they had the car chase, which was actually filmed in Brent Cross's car park at the uh, the big shopping center in Brent Cross, uh, not in Hamburg, Germany. But it had you know crazy tech. He had the mobile phone that could open up, which a few years later Nokia made. You know, and it was a little uh, like little computer thing. So it is quite weird how some of the Bond movies do, kind of, like see into the future. It's weird. Um, but yeah, it's someone um, never dies. is a great film. The song was uh, a bit weak, I think. You know, uh, at the beginning of the film, but it is a really good film. It's it's one of my favourites.
1: Yeah. So another thing we talk about on the main pod are some of our favourite scenes from each film. Uh, so across the last uh, sixty plus years, what are the the scenes that stand out to you as being the most memorable?
2: You've got the the big crazy your famous ones you know um, do you expect me to talk no i expect you to die on the laser table um for me the damn jump uh to the facility in golden is absolutely incredible that someone done that you know that's a real stunt i love it when they're real stunts um which is why i'm so pleased that we didn't use too much cgi take out die another day um but you got the Thames Chase in uh, the q boat with the phenomenal soundtrack from Des uh, from David Arnold, you know that is really great, you know. And then <laughs> climbing up the Millennium Dome and all things and dropping on it and stuff like that. That that's a damn good opening scene to a film. Um, so I loved that. Um, Casino Royale opening scene was really cool. Um, the black and white that was very good, um, and it was longer. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, you should check it out on the DVDs. They, they've done a special deluxe edition. Um, and that opening scene is actually even longer. And you see Bond stalking his first kill through some kind of like Ascot races kind of thing, or, or no, it's a cricket. I think it's a cricket match actually. Um, and it's really cool. It's a shame they cut it down just for the, uh, for the cinematic release. Cause yeah, to see Bond being a bit sneaky, sneaky and, uh, and going after his, his final kill. It's really, really cool. um, but you know, Bond films are well known for all of their opening pre-title sequences and they always try and beat the previous and get better and better and better. Um, but yeah, I think Damn Jam, The Thames Chase and World Is Not Enough, they're, they're fantastic standouts.
1: Yeah, The uh, the Thames Chase of, of that list kind of stands out to me. Uh, that film, World Is Not Enough, was the first Bond film I saw in the cinema. Oh, wow. Uh, so, so So seeing that in the cinema was like, Wow, this is something else. And then, not Jay and I have rewatched. The world is not often recently, and it stands up. I think it's a criminally underrated film. Has to be said.
2: Great film, and and you know they get to absolutely drench two traffic wardens, which you know everyone <laughs> is happy about. <laughs> Apparently, those those two guys were only meant to get a little bit wet. That's what was agreed. And then when they flipped the boat round, they absolutely pelted these guys. And they were like, oh, well, sorry, you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Better to beg forgiveness than ask permission, as, as the old saying goes, isn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so moving on, do you have a favourite gadget? Um, I'm
2: probably biased on this one because I sell them. Um, so for me, it's uh, it's got to be the watches um, from the... First time you see proper bond watch, where he's sitting at the poker table, and it's a Gruen precision um, with his tux, and then the most famous watch starting, I think, is the um, the Submariner, the Rolex Submariner in Goldfinger, uh, on that little NATO strap, uh, which is fantastic. And then all the way through, it's it's always pretty much been a Rolex, and it went into Seiko and Pulsar and things like that with Roger Moore, and then back to rolex for timothy dalton and then for me the the bond watch is the amiga um so i'm lucky to have a few of them um so the amiga seamaster from golden eye um with the laser you know that's that's just awesome everyone would love uh a watch with a laser in it you know oh you can't get in that door oh cut the door open oh, i need to escape through that hatch before i get blown up yeah i'll use the laser on my watch you know um don't know how the laser was produced no idea because the watch was still very thin, but there you go um but that's that amiga seamaster um from golden eye all the way through to to die another day and even in casino uh, for a few bits that that had so many gadgets on it so you had the the golden eye laser and you also had the detonator um you know in die another day where you put it in the box of diamonds uh, you've had a grappling hook on it from the world is not enough um, and with the the very strong LEDs when he was in the um the snow kind of jacket bubble thing um so yeah the the what the the amiga seamaster is a damn good gadget um, and it's something everyone can wear which is cool you know so it's not yeah an atashi case that would look a bit odd walking around with like that kind of bag these days um but you can walk around with a nice watch on so yeah the the amiga seamaster and yeah yeah, and the laser attachment was pretty damn awesome to me.
0: So in, in the um, season one of the podcast, Andy talks about the gadgets. Andy, from memory, we don't track the different types of watches in this series. Um, Luke, do you know whether they keep to a, a particular brand per Bond actor or do they change watches within like that arc of a Bond actor?
2: Yeah, so from from what I know, and I, I may be wrong, so I apologise if I am to anyone listening. But with Connery, it was always it was the Gruen um, Precision first of all, then Rolex. But he also used a Breitling Top Timer in uh, Thunderball as a Geiger counter. Um, when it went to Lazenby, he used a Rolex Chronograph before it was called the Daytona, um, and you see that quite briefly when he's breaking into a safe. Then it went back to uh, the Submariner uh, with Roger Moore and obviously the rotating bezel and the magnet. Um, But then Roger Moore went a little bit crazy and we got into that kind of digital world in the late 70s, 80s and he used a lot of Seiko's, so just normal digital. He used the Pulsar, which was in Live and Let Die, which they've just re-released actually. It's now called the Hamilton Pulsar. Um, It's exactly the same, which is quite cool. Um, Timothy Dalton used a Rolex Mariner, but he also had the um, Tag Heuer Night Diver, uh, which was really, really cool watch. Black, uh, but the whole dial glowed in the dark. It was very, very cool. Um, and you see that just at that kind of MI6 training uh, at the beginning. Um, but it was Lindy Hemming who introduced um, Pierce with the Seamaster from uh, Amiga, she said he was a naval man, he would want to wear something quite nice. Um, and, you know, the, the Seamaster kind of ticked those boxes. It was quite a luxury, elegant watch, but very rugged because it's also a diver's watch. Um, and it just had that element that it could have gadgets attached to it. You know, the helium escape valve on the side, you know, perfect. You know, pop that out and you've got a nice little detonator. So I think they're the main, main ones all the way through the series. I might have missed a one or two, but I think I've got most of them.
1: Some some good knowledge there for for not only the listeners but Jay and I as well. We're, we're learning <laughs> something ourselves. Um, I'm going to bring the tone down slightly with my next question. Uh, so there's been a lot of high points over the Bond franchise. There's been a few lows as well. What would you say is the lowest point of the franchise?
2: The lowest possible. I think I've already mentioned it. Bond is a clown. What like? Come on! <laughs> I it's so annoying. Um, Jane, oh, you'll you wind me up now. This is, I'll, get, I'll get on a rant now. Um, he's disarming a bomb in a circus. That's cool. That's fine. He doesn't need to dress up as a clown. He's wasted time dressing as a clown and putting makeup on. <laughs> he's wasted time on the, on the bomb. You know, you could have deactivated it quicker. You know, I really hate that film.
1: <laughs> we, we talked about the, um, that scene. And how is it even possible for him... Because he's, he's against the clock, quite literally. And not only does he take the time to just throw on a clown outfit, but he does really a really good job, actually, with the clown makeup. So he's taken time and, and care on it. But there's no time... Yeah. Um, I'm not going to rant with you, but I, I feel your pain.
2: It's uh, Like, you look at Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight with the makeup, and apparently he puts the makeup on himself, and you can see it on his fingers. You know, Roger Moore had time to wash his hands as well, and I've I've put makeup on before when I've gone to Comic Con. It takes a while to get it off your fingers, but he was fine. You know, he looked great. So unless someone done the makeup for him, you know, and then yeah, yeah, ah, oh, that film <laughs> so annoying. Um, but I think Die Another Day had quite a few low points in it as well. Um, you you asked me to pick one, but crikey, um, let's surf a tsunami. With the worst green screen in the history of the world, um, that is just unforgivably bad. <laughs> bad. Poor Pierce, and Pierce laughs about it. If you watch, um, I think he's being Bond or something, um, or, or yeah, one of the the TV uh, kind of documentaries. Even Pierce just laughs about it now. He's like, "I rode a tsunami, you know. That's that's all out Bond. That is, you know." Um, so, yeah, Die Another Day is pretty shocking as well, to be honest with you, with a lot of it. But he has got some great points as well, though. But it's, yeah, the worst is Bond as a clown, for God's sake.
0: <laughs> so, Luke, before I ask my next question, something you said there has um, kind of intrigued me. So when you went to Comic-Con, which characters were you dressed at, uh, up as, you know, requiring, you know, you use makeup. Obviously, it might not be James Bond, it might be something else. But when did you use makeup?
2: Yeah, so my, my first ever Comic-Con um, I went to, um, I went as the worst Heath Ledger's Joker that you could see. It was a, a sh- uh, an outfit brought from, you know, one of these cheap costume shops, um, a really bad wig, and I'd done the makeup myself, um, so the black eyes and everything, it, it was really naff. Um, but the next time I went to Comic Con, I kind of upped it a level, and I went, um, I went as Heath Ledger as the nurse from The Dark Knight, um, and I'd done it as screen accurate as I could possibly do, and it was it was really good. But it was the first time I went to Comic Con, and no one was dressed like Heath Ledger's Joker as a nurse, so it was awesome. You feel like a mild celebrity, you know. Everyone's wanting pictures and. You know, I always wanted to be an actor when I was younger, so I can do voices and I kind of learnt the laugh and stuff. So I would talk to people as as kind of Heath's Joker. Um, so yeah, I've done that, and then I've done Wolverine at Comic Con. That was quite a good one, and now I've done Bond a couple of times. So no one's bothered about Bond at Comic Con. You walk around in a tux, and people just think you're you've gone to the wrong event. Um, no one really wants a picture of some random bloke pretending to be James Bond. Um, But when you build these amazing costumes that some people see, you know, Iron Man suits and things, that's when people want the, the pictures and start to have a chat. <laughs> Everyone ignores you as Bond. Although I did, I met George Lazenby at uh, a Comic Con uh, and I had a Walther PPK um, and it had a little red tip in the end of it. So clearly it's not in this. I'm queuing up and I'm just about to walk over to George and this guy, this big guy ran over to me, grabbed me, was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like so what? 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 I mean, you've got a gun. He's got a gun. I was like, mate, it's Comic Con. I've got a, it's a toy gun. He went, what? I went, do you really think I'm going to queue up for three hours to meet George Lazenby and then shoot him? Like, come on, I could have done that from a while away, you know. Um, and everyone was laughing at this bloke. And he, he was doing his job, but yeah, that uh, I'm not really going to go in a tuxedo and assassinate George Lazenby at Comic Con. Um, that, that that would be quite weird. <laughs> And I paid for it as well, you know, it'd be pointless.
0: So another follow-up question. You said that you wanted to be an actor when you were younger. If you could have acted in one Bond film, so you don't necessarily have to be James Bond, it could have been in any character in a James Bond film, which film would you pick?
2: God, wow, that's a, that's a question. What film would I pick? Um, that's a tricky question. I quite like I quite like The Living Daylights, I think that's, that's a really cool film. Um, it's got some cool stunts and stuff in it. Um, obviously, if I was to, to be an actor in them, I'd want to be Bond, you know, as everyone would. Or or the villain, because I think if you're, as an actor, to play a villain, and you can really go crazy with some of the roles. Um, everyone I've ever spoken to that's played a villain um, has always said it's more fun, you know, than the hero sometimes. Um, but yeah, the Living Days would have been quite cool. Um I'm trying to think casino royale golden eye you know everyone's played Goldeneye 64 probably um so to actually portray james bond doing the facility or the military archives and those levels that'd be quite cool yeah so I'd actually no I'd probably yeah i'd say golden eye that'd be quite cool
0: in the in our main season um each of the films myself and andy pick out some of our favorite one-liners from each of the films so out of the whole twenty five films, do you have a particular favourite one liner or a quote?
2: I I use probably too much. Um shocking, positively shocking. Um love that. Great in, in Goldfinger when he, he smacks the lamp into the um into the bath. But you can use that quite a lot day to day, you know, which is, is quite funny. Um especially at work when someone's watches stop working, ah oh, it's positively shocking. You know, and they're like what? <laughs> like what um, and I've got a guy at work um Sonny he's awesome um I call him 006 because he's um I tested him on the official James Bond test and he was rubbish so he can be a 006 um and yeah he, he every morning he walks in he's like 007 oh, I'm like 006 or he'll walk past when I'm trying to like talk to a client and he's like oh shocking oh good day to you and it's like the worst sean connery <laughs> i mean or you just pull and go yes and you're like yep yeah, you're right sonny cool um but most of the clients that come in now understand my uh my love of bonds so they kind of just like uh, roll their eyes and on we go
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a it's a good Connery you do, by the way. I've got to work on my, no, on it's my not, accents it's right. now for the show. <laughs> oh it, it is. Jay, Jay's heard me try terrible accents for many, many weeks now and uh,
2: yeah. Every accent um, I used to do used to sound like Borat, so I, don't...
1: <laughs> I, 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 this, I do exactly the same thing. You when you when you stay in the accent for too long, it could be Scottish, it could be German, it could be yeah. South American, it all becomes borat in the end. <laughs> Uh, let's uh, let's get back on track. So another feature of our main pod is differences between the Bond movies and the Bond books. So my question is: Have you read any of the Bond books, either the the novels or short stories by Fleming, or the more recent ones?
2: Yeah, um, I think as a, a Bond fan, you, you you have to do yourself justice of reading the original um, literature from Fleming as well, because they are very different from the films. Um, you know, a book. Can take quite a while to read it. A film has to be a certain time. Corners are cut. You know, characters aren't really described as much. You know, you just visually see it in a film. Um so yeah, I've read of read the Flemings. Um I've got them behind me. Um so yeah, I like them. I'm I'm quite lucky enough to have a first edition of On A Majesty's Secret Service and Goldfinger, uh, which are quite cool in the collection to have. Um the rest of them are just like the the normal released uh box set ones. Um but I read some of the others, Never Dream of Dying by um Richard Benson and people like that. Um I've got a few of those books. I've tried to read them. I'm not a book reader. I don't really enjoy it. Um I even tried to listen to the audiobook versions. Um just couldn't yeah, just couldn't get on with it. Um I think my mind pictures something too different from what they then describe in the book. So I, I can't yeah. I try and make up my own kind of look of it and it doesn't always match into the book. Um, I'm trying to think what the one I was um, reading recently. Oh, Forever and a Day. Um, so I've been reading, reading that. Um, and I got about halfway through and I just couldn't, couldn't finish it, which is annoying because I want to know how it ends. But I just, yeah, I, I get a bit bored of reading after a while, to be honest with you.
0: At the time of recording this episode, they've not announced who the next James Bond actor is. And earlier on in the season, myself and Andy released a a special bonus episode about, we talked about the bookies top favourite, top ten favourite actors to um, play Bond, and then myself and Andy pulled out four wild cards. So Luke, do you have a a favourite actor that you think would be um, best suited for Bond, and why is that
2: yeah, um, it's probably uh, everyone will roll their eyes and get bored of it. Um, it's Henry Cavill. Um, but I've wanted Henry Cavill for quite some time, um, even when they were announcing Craig um, and Henry Cavill was mentioned. Um, I was team Cavill all the way. Um, he's an awesome guy. He loves the franchise. He's a great actor. Um, and he looks brilliant. You know, he's, he's a good-looking guy. He's very, I think he's got elements of... Connery Ambrosnan in the way he looks with the hair and that he's a little bit bulky I think he needs to lose that a bit but obviously he had that for Superman which he's now not anymore um, the, the scene in Mission Impossible you know with him uh, kind of loading his arms when he was having that fight in the toilet was damn good you know it was really really cool um, and I don't know if you've seen his I think he's by by tonics or something he's, he's, he's like a, an ambassador for a water brand or something now um, and he'd done this brilliant advert where he was in Huntsman in Savile Row, which was the same suit tailor shop as uh, Kingsman. And uh, he walks out and he, he says, "He's something like, and for your next adventure or something like that. And he looks down, there's like an Aston Martin DB5 <laughs> parked right in front of him. Um, I think it would be great, but I also have quite a, a radical uh, idea of where I'd want the films to go moving forward if he was selected. Um, which people would probably get quite irate about or or maybe they wouldn't, I don't know. Um but yeah, I would I would love Henry Cavill. Um Aaron John- Taylor Johnson or Aaron yeah, I think it's Aaron Taylor yeah. Johnson. He'd be quite good. Um I've seen a few fake photos of him mocked up as Bond. Um so he could be quite good. I think there Barbara says she's looking for someone for a ten year stretch that's younger that can last, so I think Cavill at 40 now I think he is might be just on the cusp of not getting it unfortunately but who knows we will see we will see
1: yeah I was I was going to say Cavill's pushing 40 or 40 already so it might be a short run uh, we've got to put your theory to the test let's get the viewers at uh, the viewers let's get the listeners irate where do you want the Bond franchise to go next
2: <laughs> well, it's not a lady um so that's fine um I would love to see, if if my other thing, I would pick up Henry Cavill and I would drop him in the 60s. Um, So I would set the film way back in the past, in the 60s, kind of like The Man from Uncle. I don't know if you've seen that, but that was was a really good film. Um, You know, the old-fashioned suits, the old-fashioned cars, and they can do that if you see things like Peaky Blinders and those kind of shows. They can easily recreate the past. Um, But I just think everyone was so... Anti born with Craig, you know, oh, it's just a born ripoff. It's a born ripoff. Let's go back to some classic spy from Russia with love. You know, those really story-driven kind of Bond films where he's a spy. He needs to do some intelligence. He needs to find out contacts. Yeah, he might sleep with the old woman to get information and kill the odd person because he's an assassin. Um, I think where the franchise went. Bond had a mission, different, bit different with Craig because he was always just after Blofeld in the end. But he didn't really gather much intelligence as a spy. He kind of just all oh, bank there, go dump. You know, he'd get a text from M or a voicemail from M, or Tanner would contact him. It was yeah, you know, he'd go and speak to Blofeld a bit, and they'd find out that all of a sudden he's got nanobots on him and all things like that. There wasn't any spying in From Russia with Love. He had to meet a woman, he knew it was going to be a trap, but he had to interrogate her on a boat, and he had to do this and do that. He had a, 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 another villain after him in Red Grant, you know, which was really cool, but he didn't know, first of all, and all that. I kind of would like to see that. So I think you could pick Cavill up. He's very 60s style anyway. You haven't got all crazy gadgets, so no one can moan about that. You're going to have a really good story, but a re- written good script, you know, maybe a bit of John Barry coming back, you know, with score wires. you know, uh, David Arnold can do a lot of Barry-esque kind of scores. So, yeah, that's that's what I'd like to see. And then you can still use Aston Martin DB5 and things like that as well. So you've still got that kind of Bond 007 history and heritage and look and style. But no one's going to compare it to Mission Impossible, which definitely is going to start happening with the, the couple of new films that are coming out now.
1: So it's a really interesting way to go. I like, I like the sound of it. So I, I'm, I'm not alright, I do like the sound of it my my other thought, and this is not really something I would want but I wonder whether they would go more into the origin story of Bond um, so when I, when I think of Craig I compare it to almost like the Christian Bale Batman run where he went back to basics, but they didn't really touch on it a great deal, obviously they had the this is how he became a double O, and then it was he's Bond, but I wonder sh- could and should they do more of the how did he get to that point now, you don't want to go back to the point of you know child actor being Bond, growing up. That's probably taking it too far. James Bond Junior. Oh. Well, it could it could be, but you know, there's there's probably something more of like a an origin story that could could be be used that would lead to itself to being a really young actor for for the long term. Because then once you've done the origin story, you then have to go into 007 and his missions, etc. But um, Bond Bond going back to back to the sixties. I like the sound of that.
2: Yeah. And I mean, you know, Craig films are phenomenal. I've got the posters all around. Most of my collection is a Craig S because I was at that time where I could afford the Craig stuff. But I think the trouble is with it, it's, you know, quantum had a writer's strike, so they didn't really know what was going on. They were kind of setting up quantum to be this massive company, uh, sorry, villainous company like Spectre. Um, but they couldn't use that because Kevin McClory had the rights to it still and all that kind of thing. Um, so they didn't really go into the this kind of spy kind of stuff and then you went in Skyfall, which was a bit of Bond's Heritage, amazing. Love that film. Skyfall's a, a genius, genius film. But then all of a sudden all oh, Spectre's around because now we can use the rights. And uh, so we'll ignore quantum. That doesn't exist. And actually Dominic Green worked as a kind of branch of Spectre and bang, we're in Spectre, and there's Blofeld and now everything's fine. And it just kind of seemed because Daniel Craig wanted to end it at a certain time and he kind of had a plan that he all along he wanted Bond to die. That's why I agree with you. It's kind of like a storybook. You've got Daniel Craig starting, you've got him getting older and realising it in Skyfall and then you've got, obviously, No Time to Die, which is the end of it. Um, so I don't think they had that. Where all the old films were just standalone films, Bond gets his mission and he completes a mission by the end of it. They had to really squeeze a lot into five films, which, in some essence, some of it seemed a bit rushed, and you didn't really find out too much about it. Um, so that, that's the only reason I think go back to the sixties. Each Bond film is a standalone film. You know, you could have Smursh, you could have Spectre, you know, either or, um, and it just runs from that ten-year cycle of the Bond that they've they've cast. But yeah, what do we know? What do we know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Time will tell what they what they choose to do. Uh, one final question before we get into some uh, some rankings. Um, was there a particular film that you were looking forward to more than the others, and did it meet your expectations?
2: So I definitely would say No Time to Die. Um, you know, obviously we had the unfortunate COVID, um, and I feel really bad because I remember being at work as COVID was, was starting to take hand, and they came out with the news that, Bond had been delayed, they were gonna delay it. I went nuts. I was pathetic. I was like a little child. I was at work. My boss, bless him, told everyone, Don't go, don't don't speak to Luke. Leave him alone. He's not happy. And I like, what? Bond's delayed. Oh my god. And everyone avoided me. It was pathetic. Um and you know, heaven did I know what was gonna come because of the, the, the COVID thing. So um, you know, we had a long time, an hour, a year and a half, if not longer. Um, of waiting, even though we'd had a trailer, we we, we knew little seg- like segments. We'd had the watch, which I got literally just before the lockdown happened. Um, so yeah, the anticipation for that was crazy. I remember I was on holiday in Tenerife. I got the soundtrack very very early sent to me through contact, which was really cool. And I'm laying around the pool. And it was just normal files. They weren't named files. They were just individual track one, track two. And it got to track two, uh, which was Matera. And I was laying with my two (laughs) two best mates, chilling by the pool, being all cool as you are, you know, soaking up the sun. And I started to cry. It was really pathetic. Um, And I started to cry because that rift of We Have All the Time in the World came in. And I was like, oh, my God, what the hell is going on in this film? Why is that in it? You know, they've had no reference to any old Bond films, let alone the music and stuff. And now all of a sudden, that's in it. What, what is going on? So my mind was playing, you know, I had the soundtrack, like I say, quite a while before. Um, then I went to the, the premiere uh, at the Royal Albert Hall, Walking the Carpet with Remy Malik and Alain Armes and Daniel and all those, which was, which was awesome. And then sat and watched the film and cry, I, was, I was on the edge of my seat no, and I'm not even exaggerating for that whole film. I was literally on the edge. And um yeah, it, it went it went crazy. And by the end of the film, uh, I think I, I cried three times. I cried at the Matera part. Um I had a little tear when when Felix obviously um left. Um and then right at the end, oh my god, yeah, I was I was a mess at the end of that film. Um and I was I'd left the, the Royal Well my my friends I was with um this, this girl that was with them looked around and she was like, oh my God, is Luke all right? And they were like, yeah, he's it, a bit overwhelmed, you know, he's all right. And I was like, absolute mess. Um, and then, yeah, at the, I went outside, people wanted to talk to me because they recognised me from my Instagram and stuff. I couldn't really talk. It was, that was, you kind of saw it coming. But you thought, it ain't going to happen. This is, there's 25 films, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to do that. It'll get blown down back into the, the vault or something, you know, in the bomb room, and he'll be fine, and you might see him in the distance at the end, like very The Dark night Rises, you know. But no, they did, they done it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, that's, that's insane. Um, and I think I got the film a little bit before it came out, um, and even then I still would watch it and cry. I took me mum, my sister to see it, they cried, because they knew what it meant to me. Um, so yeah, no time to die. Crikey. Uh, And I know people, you know, it's a 50-50. People do have a go about it because of killing Bond. Um, but they killed Daniel Craig's Bond. They haven't killed Bond. It still says James Bond will return. They just finished his, his, his tenure as Bond, which was great. Like Christian Bell, you know, they finished that in a perfect way. Um, so yeah, no time to die for me. That, that was great. And yes, I love it. That my collection of stuff is, is very no time to die, um, and that film will be with me for a long time. Yeah, great film.
0: So moving on in our in our main season, we we rank each of the films each week, Luke. So, and we we rank different area, you know areas. We talk about villains, Bond girls, et cetera, et cetera. So, what are your top five Bond films in the franchise? Obviously, you mentioned Casino Royale was your number one earlier on.
2: Yeah, so yeah, Casino Royale number one, um, and GoldenEye two. I mean, there is a lot of. Um, trying to think of the term. I tried to think earlier, but I can't. There's a lot of memories and connections with Goldeneye, you know, like I say, with the game. And remember having my mates around in the evening playing Goldeneye and nearly failing GCSEs because of that game. Um, so that that's that's tied. But I'd say number three, On A Majesty's Secret Service. Um, that's really come of age, that film. Uh, George Laisby, I've met him a couple of times now. What an amazing bloke. Um, openly admits to destroying his chances in... Uh, being a, a major celebrity because of Bond and the way he was. But that that film is beautifully written. Um, absolutely great film. Love it. Um, Living Daylights, number four. Um, Timothy Dalton, great start. Very underrated film, very underrated Bond. Um, becoming a bit more popular these days. Um, but yeah, love that film. Uh, and then number five would be Live and Let Die. Um, Roger Moore's first, maybe led because um, Jane Seymour's in it, but also as Baron Samadie, you know, um, the great Rolex watches, you know, it's a really good first film for Roger Moore, and it's a shame that from that, which is quite serious, it's quite a serious film, it's not all silly, silly. It went silly, silly uh, very quickly after that, um, and they tried to get it back with few eyes only, but I think by that time people were assuming it the bond franchise is a bit spoofy now so they they didn't do too well but yeah living let die number five definitely
0: so i've just realized this and i don't know if you've done this intentional so your top five films are all feature different bond actors and they are all the first bond the film in that bond actors reign run of films is that intentional
2: no, I've just noticed that as well, <laughs> as you were pointing that out. No, that definitely wasn't... Inten- has, no, definitely not intentional, but, yeah, how odd. But great starts, you know, for each Bond. You know, clearly they they done well on their first film.
1: <laughs> they, they set the scene, as it were, in each of those. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good list. And uh, from, from memory, I think those five are going to be pretty close to my top five. Certainly, I would say most, if not all, will be in my top ten. Um, but, uh, yeah some cracking films on that list moving on let's talk bond girls so let's let's have a top five you mentioned a couple of them earlier but um let's flesh it out one to five
2: yeah okay Um so number one uh would be vespa lind uh the beautiful eva green just because it's you know massive tie to the daniel craig films she was pretty much an element in all of those films um that came, even came into no time to die at the end you know and he did miss her you know, that, that grave, it was quite sad. Um, but, you know, as well, Eva Green, what a, what an incredible actress. Uh, number two, Solitaire. Um, obviously, Jane Seymour, gone into that one, going to it again. Um, number three, controversial. Everyone's going to be annoyed at this. Christmas Jones. The the beautiful... Oh, she's just lovely. Um, and that's probably why I picked her, to be honest with you, because I can just see her in those little shorts um, and the vest top running around, pretending to be a nuclear physicist. Um but Denise Richards, crikey, she was lovely. I remember in, um, I don't know, you guys might have seen it, Wild Things. I don't know, you know, but it's, um, yeah, I think most people have seen that. Um, but yeah, she's she was lovely. Not not great. Yes, I'm not picking her because she was great. I'm picking her because she was hot. Um, number four uh, would be Paloma um, from No Time to Die. So Anna de Amis. Um absolutely fantastic, absolutely fantastic. Looking forward to seeing her in Ballerina, the John Wick spinoff, because um, she's. She's great actress. She really kicked some ass in that as well, whilst looking incredibly hot. Um, brilliant. Should have used her more in that film. Um, I actually preferred her character than Nomi uh, in the film. Um, I think, you know, I'm, I won't go into it. I think Nomi was putting that for a reason. It wasn't really needed, to be honest with you. She could have been awesome, uh, but they really underused her. Um, and they kind of put a bit more focus on Paloma for what was probably... 20 minute scene Uh, it's a bit odd Uh, but she was great Um, and then last one uh, Tracy Tracy Bond um, from Honor Majesties the only wife of 007 Um, and that ending sucked in that film I remember watching that for the first time when I was young and that sucked because you did not see that coming at all Um, and she she was wonderful she was hard ass she was she beating up Blofeld and she was you know, she was fantastic. Uh, she probably actually deserves to be higher up. I've, I, yeah, yeah, I put her at five. She probably should have been at three. I only picked Christmas Jones because she's hot. Um, but yeah, Tracy Bond, fantastic, number five, yeah.
0: So you mentioned Elliot as your favourite Bond villain. So do you have, well, what are your top five Bond villains? And like I said earlier, this can be a main villain or one of the henchmen. Uh,
2: yeah, so Elliot Carver, number one. Um, Alec Trevelyan. Number two from GoldenEye, Sean Bean. Fantastic. Sean Bean's great as a villain in it. Well, he's always cast as a villain pretty much in everything he does. But, um, yeah, really like Sean Bean. Great actor. Um, and was really good. You know, a double O that's turned. You know, and you could see that vulnerability in um, Pierce Brosnan uh, as his 007, you know. It was his friend. They'd done missions together. You know, that was, that's some betrayal. So that he was really cool. Um, Rael Silva... Um, from Skyfall. Um, wow. Javier Bardem. <laughs> what makes you think this is my first time? Absolutely fantastic villain. Um, awesome guy. You know, when we chatted at the premiere, wow, he's really, really cool. And he's quite a sinister-looking bloke. You know, he's he's been quite unfortunate. But he, he looks quite... You know, he, he could really take you out. He could be a villain. Um, number four, just for... Old Sake, you know, Goldfinger, classic. Um, Great lines, great actor. Um, You know, I still always see him as in uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang as a king, which is quite weird. Um, And then lastly, Baron Samadie from um, Live and Let Die. I think probably one of the only kind of villains to survive. I might be wrong. Um, But, you know, he died a few times, or did he? And then he ended up on the train at the end. So like he could come back at any time, um, and I really liked that. That was quite cool. It's a shame they didn't bring him back, but I I can see why. he Probably wouldn't have dropped in some voodoo uh, kind of god um, in any other film. Wouldn't probably like Moonraker. That would have made sense. <laughs> or he could have dressed as a clown. But anyway, um, so yeah, Baron Samadie, um probably would be the last uh, cool villain from that year.
1: Yeah, really cool villain. Uh, I'm a I'm a big pro wrestling fan, and uh, he was the. Inspiration behind the Papa Shango character, uh, which uh, yeah, for uh, any wrestling fans from the early nineties, will remember Papa Shango as being a kind of a a voodoo type wrestler. Which uh, again, bit of a bit of a geek fest on my my behalf there. But let's let's get back to Bond. So I won't make you do top five because there's only six. So we might as well do all six. How would you rank the Bond actors?
2: Everyone's gonna hate me now, but here we go. So Pierce Brosnan number one. Daniel Craig, very, very, very close number two. Uh, Timothy Dalton, number three. George Lazenby, number four. Sean Connery at five. And Roger Moore at six. Now, that doesn't mean I don't like all of them. I love them all. They all bring something amazing uh, to Bond. Um, I just felt like Roger Moore was just too comical. Sean, you know... Though they're great films, but they are a little dated now. the the old blue screen in the background, green screen effect, wherever it was, um, that really wasn't. It was just a video, basically, of pretending that they're driving and his bad wig. Um, but still, phenomenal. And I know he started the whole franchise. I think for me, what kicks as a bit of a, a Bond like fan is how Sean was with the films out of filming. You know, he's horrible to Cubby and Harry Saltzman, you know, he would refuse to to act when I think it was Harry Saltzman walked on to set, you know, he wouldn't talk to Cubby Broccoli. And to be honest, they made him, you know, I believe he was a funeral uh, Hearst carrier and things like that, a milkman and he'd done bodybuilding and stuff like that. You know, if it wasn't for Bond films, it probably wouldn't have made him And yeah, I, Yeah, I agree, you know, when he went to Japan, people were taking pictures of him in the toilet, and they he didn't have his privacy, but, you know, to be that way, you know, because of that, that, that's always kind of been a bit salty with me. I still love his films, I still love him. I never got to meet him, unfortunately, but that's probably why he's a lot lower, because I think the other guys, you know... um, a bit more grateful for the, the role, even though Lazenby ruined it, he can sit there and openly admit that he'd done it himself, you know.
0: This might be obvious, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. If you could pick any Bond actor to have one more film within their run, who would it be? Would it be Pierce Brosnan because he's your favourite Bond actor or would you choose someone else?
2: And actually, I, this is always something that us kind of people would dream of is if they stayed for one more, because it'd be amazing to see so you'd see George Lazenby do Diamonds Are Forever. That would be really weird. <laughs> you know, it'd be cool, but it would be weird. Would it have ever happened, you know, because of the way Lazenby portrayed Bond? It wouldn't work in that film. Um, Pierce Brosnan, you know, you could have seen him doing the Living Daylights instead of Lazenby, you know, because that's when he was actually meant to take over as Bond. I'd like to have seen Pierce do one more because Die Another Day let him down massively. Um you know, he was great, um, and that, that film was was shocking. Um, I'd love to see Dalton do one more. I think if I had to pick a, a, a Bond, I'd love to see Dalton do another one. Um, he was way ahead of his time. Um, Licence to Kill was, um, was brutal, um, and he was as close, I think, to the original novelisation of Bond. Um, so I'd love to have seen him do another, but then it would have been GoldenEye. And that, that wouldn't, wouldn't have worked. But then, it, it would it have been GoldenEye? Because it would have been a lot sooner, you know, late 80s to 1994. You know, it, they might not have even come up with that eye. you know. So, it could have been something completely different. Um, but, yeah, in answering you, I'd, I'd say Dalton. I'd like to have seen him do another one.
0: So, last top five question before we move on to some other bits. What are your top five Bond theme songs? And obviously, you, you mentioned you know my name is your favorite, but also you said you know we have all the time in the world is up there. So, what are you know what what are the other songs that make your top five? Uh,
2: yeah, so you know my name, number one, and we have all the time in the world, number two. Um, I love License to Kill by Gladys Knight. Um, I just heard that recently. I went to the Sound of Bond at the Royal Albert Hall, and they had um, they done bits and bobs and they played license to kill there. There was another singer doing it, but it's just, it's awesome. The way it introduces that, you know, it's, it's fantastic. And you can picture in your mind, that opening scene of them walking up to, to Felix's wedding and having the, the church bells all of a sudden glide into the rift of license to kill. Brilliant song. Um, it's also my sister's favorite as well, I believe. Um, Live and Let Die would be number four, Paul McCartney and Wings. Great, great tune. Um, Bit weird, bit of reggae chucked in there, you know. It's a bit of an oddity song, but it's uh, a classic. Um, Guns and Roses done a cover. I don't know if everyone's heard it, but that is a damn good cover as well. So um, that's a good one at four. And then five is quite a controversial one, a lot of people say. It's uh, Surrender. I don't know if you've heard it by Casey Lang. Um, It was actually the end song, for Tomorrow Never Dies. Um, but a lot of people have said it actually should be the main song. And I, I 150 billion times agree. Um, it's such a great Bond song. And, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to have the title of the the film in the song, like, you know, my name and, you know, um, not probably not Quantum of that'd be a, big one, a hard one to chuck into a song. Um, but Surrender was a really, really great Bond song. Um and, yeah, I'd love someone to do an edit of Tomorrow Never Dies and bring that into the front instead uh, and chuck the other one to the back. Um, so, yeah, I, I listen to that quite a lot. It's a good it's a good song.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Surrender was the better song of the two, for sure. Um, well, that brings us to the end of our usual questions, but we're not going to let you go just yet um, because it's our understanding that, and you're relatively famous for this, you've been covering newspapers and on, and on the news about your... Collection of bond memorabilia. Now you briefly touched on it at the start of the pod, but I'm going to let you go into a little bit more detail now. So tell us about all the things you own that are bond related.
2: Yes, I've I've, I've got a little bit. It's only a little bit. Um, there was a, there was a lot more on my Instagram. I used to document it, but um, unfortunately it got hacked and my my account got shut down. So I had to restart it, and I just haven't had the time to be able to do it like I did before. Um, but I mean, yeah, I've been collecting bond memorabilia for for quite some time probably, like I said earlier. It's probably more from the 90s when I got into work and could earn a bit more. Um, but I remember my first ever collectible uh, was from my mum, bless her. She uh, she gave me the little Toyota Corgi car from, uh, from um, You Only Live Twice. And it was I believe it was her nan that brought it for her because her nan took her to the cinema to, to see it. Um, and she never played with it. You know, it's little girls don't want to play with a James Bond car. So it was immaculate. Original corgi box. The little bullets were still on that kind of plastic shell that you had to snap away um, in its original paper little packet, you know, with the instructions on. So it's it's immaculate. And that that was the first thing I ever got. Um, and then it it just grew from there, really. I had a few extra bits and bobs here and there. Um I'd say the collection really came on when probably late Brosnan, um, so from World Is Not Enough onward. And then I went back and bought older bits that I could as well. But yes, it's it's vast um, from what it is really. Is screen-used props that I've got from Contacts. There's bits that you can buy normally, like retail from com and things like that. I've got some bits that were made, specially, you know, from third party to be like a replica. Um, I've got outfits. Um, so I try not to buy shoes because I'm quite heavy on my feet. So I tend to wear the, wear the stuff that I do buy and shoes would just be right off 800 quid. I couldn't afford that. Um, but I've got, for example, the um, the full combat gear from No Time to Die. Um, so the full outfit from M P L. Uh, I actually got the first set. They ran me whilst I was on holiday and told me when they were getting in, so they kept it for me. Um, I've got his Rogue Territory jacket from when he reveals the Aston Martin Vantage uh, in the, the lock-up in No Time to Die. Um, the tuxedos, obviously. I've got the the white tux from um, Spectre, from Tom Ford. Um, some ties and bits and bobs like that. That's more clothing-wise. But, yeah, it's, it's quite a vast array of, of props and bits and bobs, really, um, that's then led into to more things like you say with um being in newspapers and tv and stuff
0: so what's your most prized piece of memorabilia
2: the the car obviously means a lot because my mum gave it to me um as it would with everyone um i love the the watches um i didn't get them through through my work i got them before i was in the watch industry so uh i brought them at normal um so i've got a couple of those so i've got the I had the first no time to die piece that came into the UK. So I've got that and it's actually screen used uh, like a, a screen used version because the one that you you can buy now is actually different from what Craig wore in the film. Um not that a lot of people know that. Um I've got the I'm actually wearing it today. I've got the Skyfall Planet Ocean 007 edition. I've got the Spectre uh seamaster. Um I've also got the the original 1995 Quartz Movement, Seamaster 300 from Goldeneye, um, which is quite cool. I've got one of the old Seikos from Roger Moore era. I've got the the, uh, the Q-Watch from Swatch from No Time to Die as well. Um, but I'd say, I've, I've, yes, yeah, it's, it's difficult to pin it down to one piece. Probably the car just because of sentimental. But I, I've got other cool things. I've got, I believe it or not, a pack of matches that were used by Felix Leiter in No Time to Die. Now, these are screen used props you see this in the film um and he actually rips them off to light his cigar that he's smoking um and there's i think it's two matches missing from the pack because they'd done two takes so they only they got the scene done in two takes it's really cool because there's just two matches missing they didn't get a new packet or anything like that it is that and uh so that's that's quite cool um i've got a spectre ring that was used by one of the um, the villains, um, but only an extra, but one of those. Um, Saffin's mask, the, the shattered mask. I've got, I think there was 500 of those that were sold. I've got one of those. Um, I've got every pair of sunglasses that Daniel Craig's ever worn in the films. Um, so, which is ridiculous because he started off in casino with two and then ended in no time today with four pairs of glasses. Mental, like, really four pairs of glasses um and you like there was one pair he wore and he was in the that little plane that was coming off of uh Q's plane you know to land on Safin's island you see him for two seconds he puts them on to glide and he takes them they just vanish where are they gone you know that's 400 quid's worth of glasses for two seconds but yeah so I've got I've got those as well but yeah I've got I've got a fair bit of the collection
0: it's pretty cool is there a piece of memorabilia that you don't have that you wish you had or you've had trouble getting hold of?
2: An Aston Martin DB5. So if anyone <laughs> would like to donate one. <laughs> Not a Corgi one. I've got plenty of them. Um, I met a guy. Um, at, uh, I went to the launch of the new 60th anniversary, Bond watch in London. Phenomenal event by Amiga. It was all, it was all secretive. Um, it was really, really cool. They had a company called Secret Cinema there. So they actually reenacted... Uh, Q Branch being attacked by Spectre and then you had to go into Spectre's casino and they had actors in there pretending to be spies and yeah crazy Um, I think I've put some of that on my Instagram as well but um, yeah so I went I went to that and I was sitting next to this guy at a dinner table Um, I was about five six seats away from Daniel Craig and um, I was chatting to this guy and he said oh why are you here I said I'm a Bond fan I've got a Big collection and stuff. He went, Oh yeah. So tried telling me, him, he went, Oh, I got nothing like that. Nothing. I was like, Well, what, what have you got? He went, Oh no, nothing. nowhere near as good as yours. I went, Well, go on, you know, any collection's awesome. You know, you could have two things or ten things, you know, it doesn't matter. Um he went, Well, I've got one of the Aston Martin's. Um, I went, What, well, like the the Corgi ones? He went, No, no, I've got Daniel Craig's Aston Martin from Casino Royale. Um, I've got the one from Quantum of Solace. Um, I've got the one that actually was blown up in Skyfall. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? So he has all of the Aston Martins. And then he got called by Aston Martin um, because they said, oh, we've got this uh, we've got this car you might like. And he turned up and it was the press car that they used for Goldfinger. They had the cut-out roof and on a Blackman was laying on it and stuff like that and you know he just brought it as you do you know he just brought it um so yeah he um he was cool and i speak to him a lot now but i think yeah if i could have anything even though i don't have a driver's license um i would love an aston martin db5 i'd just sit on it i just sit in it <laughs> on, you know on my driveway um and just pretend i was cool
1: <laughs> i saw was it an episode of top gear where they they have replicas of the db5 from goldfinger basically for sale i think paddy McGuinness drove one and i'm sure he said that you can buy them for about 3.3 million i'm sure that's what he said so and that's not that's like a replica of the it's
2: crazy i know pierce brosnan kept the one from Goldeneye, um from that that opening scene he kept that but i think i am sure he sold it um but you 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 can't walk in and buy a, a db5 they're custom built you know or you'll buy an old one and they did release the Bond editions of the Aston Martin, and each one was named after a film, um, and it had a plaque in the door and everything, but that DB5 is a cracker. Um, so, yeah, if anyone wants to donate one for a good cause,
1: <laughs> um, the Luke
2: fund is open.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, so so next up, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to have a, a, like a slideshow on our YouTube channel, so check that out, and we're going to just talk through some of the items... So for those listening only, this may or may not make a lot of sense because we might say, what's that, what's that, and you won't be able to see. But we are going to sync the audio with some, some photos on our YouTube channel. Uh, so check that out. But let's, let's go through this first piece. So tell us a little bit about what we're looking at, and then we'll pick out some individual items of interest.
2: Yeah, cool. So a, a couple of my display uh, units I've got, um, I try and theme the shelves by actor um cuz obviously where i've got further in jobs and stuff i could spend a bit more money on stuff so that was more craigier so what we're looking at here this is the <laughs> the bottom shelf of my um of my first cabinet so it's just got a collection of the porcelain mugs um each one was for a different bond film um you can see the the toyota car to the bottom right hand side the the little white toyota on the box that that is the original um that's, that's what my mum got me. Well, gave to me. Sorry, I didn't get it. Um, I got the remake, uh, re-release, Aston Martin DB5 on the left, and then the one right in the middle, uh, which is quite sentimental, the Aston Martin, uh, was a gift from my late nan, bless her. Um, she bought it from a company called Danbury Mint, and it used to be on the back of the Radio Times. And she saw it, um, and I think it was 250 quid, or you could pay for it in like three instalments. Um, and it's got, every working part on it and every movable part to the point where you can open the door slightly and it's got even the tiny little telephone that's in the door um you know the, the ejector seat works the back lifts up everything it's um so that that's quite quite something it's got a little plaque on there and then the one above it is um 18 karat gold plated uh, that was released for an anniversary many many moons ago um so that was quite cool the, the cufflinks on the left the 007 and uh one of my clients actually got them for me
0: is that little nelly down there
2: yeah yeah got little nelly down there as well yeah uh, i had a couple of them um one of my friends went to japan and uh he found a, a little nelly out there as well so he he brought that back for me um i think that one's the
0: the just the corgi edition though so moving on we've we've got the the next shelf what what's on this one so,
2: yeah, this is in the Craig collection. Um, so this, this shelf is designated just for Skyfall. Um, so you can see there the watch I'm actually wearing now, which is the Planet Ocean uh, from Skyfall. Uh, it's got a 007 insignia at the, at the 7 marker, which is quite cool. You know, it doesn't slap Bond in the face, which is quite nice. Shouldn't be on that NATO. Um, you can see the bracelet just in front of it, but the bracelet's engraved 007, so I didn't want to scratch it. So I just used my own tools to remove it, and I've got it on the Bond NATO from Spectre. Um, you've got a, a little bit of uh, Point of South from, from Amiga there, so you've got a picture of Craig. It is a No Time to Die poster, why I've covered it up a bit where it says the name. Um, and you've got the gold uh, 007 stand and everything, which was from their No Time to Die displays, um, but I got given that. The actual bit at the back with the picture of Daniel Craig on the far right, that's the uh, Premiere Tickets For Skyfall, so they come in a really nice cardboard sleeve, and then the tickets are inside there. Um, I've got uh, poker chips, screen-used from the Floating Dragon, uh, which was the um, the casino uh, from that main scene where he had a fight um, and he he first met the uh, the Bond femme fatale. And then on the right-hand side, you've got um, some they're they're custom cufflinks. Um, So there's a company in Osh, I think uh, New Zealand. Sorry. Uh, called Magnolia Cloviers. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Um, and they make replica clothing that's never been licensed. So they're a really awesome resource for anyone that likes stuff. So, And I wear all my bits and bobs. So these are actually um, the uh, the family crest of Bond. And it says Orbis Non sufficient at the bottom, which is um, obviously the world is not enough. Uh, so I got those made. I've got two pairs of one, uh, which is a standard... Uh, cufflink style and then these are uh, button cufflinks so i don't wear these they're, they're just a prop for display and I wear, I wear the other ones but they never produced them i think it was tom ford that made them for the film um so they never made them and i think they went at auction or something at Christie's for some crazy amount of money um so yeah they're just replica ones that i got made for me and you can just see the the grip of a wolf of ppk there as well just on the left
1: i was sadly drawn to the uh coca-cola zero bottle um, <laughs> because surely they've, they've missed a trick there it should be called coca-cola zero zero seven
2: yeah they marketed <laughs> it as the yeah Coke Coke zero zero seven um in their adverts um that was a steel um like a like a, like a tin which was quite cool and i had to be careful with that because for a long time i even had a can and it exploded in my display <laughs> and coke went everywhere luckily it didn't damage anything but so I have to be careful. And you can just see, just underneath that, there's a, a glass bottle as well. Um, and you can just read it. it says Coca-Cola zero, 00. And then obviously the 7 is underneath it. So, yeah, you, uh, you're you on point with marketing there because they did they did do that.
0: So what about this shelf? This looks like it's Piers Bosnan. Yeah, correct, yeah. So uh, a few bits
2: from Bosnan. Um, so we've got there um, the famous, well, the now famous DVD from... Uh, Jonathan Price, which is awesome, just on the bottom left, uh, bottom right there, sorry. Uh, in front of that is the gold um, Parker Jotter uh, that was used in GoldenEye, three clicks arms, the, the fuse, another three disarms, uh, with a couple of GoldenEye keys. So they were the activation keys that you could uh, set the GoldenEye disk off, uh, the satellite off with. Uh, just to the left of the tank, you've got the my 1995 Seamaster. Um, I actually dressed it on the... The leather strap, black leather. Because uh, if you watch the facility break-in at the begin- beginning of the film, when he comes out onto the runway, you see it very, very briefly. Um, but they don't actually wear it on a steel bracelet. He's got it on a leather strap. Um, so, yeah, so I've dressed that up with a leather strap. Uh, and then on the left of that, you've got the Wolfer P99 uh, and a PPK in the back. Uh, top shelf, uh, you've got a signed picture from Toby Stevens. I met him at Comic-Con. Um, So that was quite cool. Really nice guy. Quite theatrical in the way he talks. Um, You can see why he came from theatre and stuff like that. Um, But really quite nice guy. And then a very cool, very cool prop that I'll probably get in trouble for now. But hey-ho. The pair of sunglasses you can just see just down in front of that. So there's a scene in Die Another Day uh, when they set off the Icarus satellite. Um, It's what's meant to be in Iceland, but it's actually in Cornwall at the um, Eden Project. And there's there's a scene where Gustav Graves sets off the satellite and you see all these delegates that are there put on these sunglasses and they're really odd winged glasses, very strange. Um, my, my mum's best friend was a casting director um, and she got me uh, a part to be an extra in Die Another Day. And I wasn't allowed to do it. My mum wouldn't let me do it because um, of exams and stuff. So my mum's friend sent her then husband to go and be the extra and he nicked them he had to sign them back in and he nicked them, he nicked them off the set Um, don't know how not going to ask how Um, and the funny thing is they're they're made by a company called Block that do sunglasses and the Block logo on the side had felt tip over it so you couldn't see it in the film so yeah it's pretty cool so I don't know how many pairs of them there actually are out there um, because they were made for the film they were unique for the film so yeah, uh, if people did give them back, I might have something that's yeah not really out there. <laughs> so it's quite cool. And then a lot of the dolls are from a company called Sideshow Toys. Um, they don't exist now. With well, they exist, but they don't do Bond Bond stuff anymore. Um, I've got the complete collection of all of those. So.
0: And moving on, what about this shelf? Uh, so this is a
2: blend, really, because uh, obviously Dalton didn't do too much. Um, so there's a few bits on here. Um, I'd say standout pieces. You can see in the back there, next to Richard Keel, uh, Jaws. I've got um, a signed photo of him. Bless him. Uh, He always used to sign it, Richard Keel, and then Jaws and draw little Jaws teeth on it, which is quite cool. Um, So I've got that. Um, You've got a couple of the the cufflinks at the front are actually official 007 uh, props. So they're from 007.com. I think you can still get them. Um, And they're from... um, your eyes only um so they were um Topol, um who was uh who was in that they're um they're the dove cufflinks that you see in the film um i think Christo christos used to uh, throw a little little uh, dove thing to try and set him up so that's quite cool so i've got those um you can just about see the uh, james bond's golden bullet from the man with the golden gun just on roger moore's right foot there um, it's got the engraved 007 on it cuz that's the uh, the bullet that was sent to uh, to scare him off and then yeah just a n- nothing major just two two of the dolls from uh, license to kill
0: i say is that Merry Goodnight?
2: good night it is yes yeah so they um corgi done a release of these little i think they're like porcelain figures um i didn't didn't manage to collect them all cuz they discontinued and now they go for silly money on on eBay, just people trying to make the money out of them. Um, but I've got I've got a few of them. I've got uh, I think I've got all the Brosnan ones. I've only got the two uh, two Roger Moore ones. That tiny little Drax one um, actually came with the Moonraker shuttle. So yeah.
1: So next up, this is looking like Roger Moore era when he took us through.
2: Yeah, a bit a bit of laser in at uh, the start of the Roger Moore era. Um, so the, the prize bit in the middle of here is um, the tarot cards from live and let die they're not the original ones unfortunately back from the 70s they um they go for a lot of money um this is a re-release from factory entertainment i think they're called um and they normally do collectors editions they'll do maybe 100 200 they're always limited edition um and they release these and i've been after them for years just because obviously jane seymour as well um but yeah, so I finally managed to get and It's quite funny because it does cover with an overabundance of the lovers card, which is quite funny. Um, but the thing that always got me with with that with those tarot cards is, and you see it in the film, on the back of the card, it's got 007, which is really weird. And even in the film, the used cards on the on the, the movie itself in the screen, they've got 007 on the back of them. Really weird. Don't know why they've done that. It's a very odd thing
1: that. Yeah, I noticed that, and there's been a few times where like the 007 logo has appeared on things randomly. But yeah, I I, I remember the cards. It'd be nice to have a and, like that as just a card design anyway, but a bit of foreshadowing within the film. Yeah,
2: and I I yeah, it was, and this is a thing. Things like that are never explained, but it it would be very odd that the random pack of tarot cards she's got has been produced by a company that's put 007 on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then behind Teehee, the guy in the red jacket, you can see there. It's a a Royal Mail secret dossier that came out when they released No Time to Die. Um, And it's got... um, It's it's really cool, actually. It's like the dossier that M would give Bond for your eyes only kind of thing. And it's... um, You open it up. They're still sealed. I I always when they're not too expensive I buy two so I can open one and have a look at it and then the other I keep mint um and it's yeah it's got all portfolios files in there like it was produced by MI6 of all the villains so like Le Chiffre and it's got all of his stats who he is where he's from and things like that um and then it had all the collectible stamps uh at the back of it which probably are worth a bit more now bless her because uh the queen has has left us so yeah it's um so that that's there i Oh, and you can just see behind Blofeld—that's the first edition of On a Majesty's Secret Service, the book.
1: I did. I did like the uh, the T. He Johnson figure. We're going back in time a bit further with this one, by the looks of it. Um, this looks like a certain Mister Connery in his era.
2: Yeah. So, um, in here you've got still some of the uh, sideshow figures, um, and you've got the the newly released Blu-ray for the 60th anniversary. Um, you got the Penfold Hearts. Um, so I've got the the full box of Penfold Heart golf balls, um, and also the golf tees as well, um, which are, yeah, just down there on the bottom left-hand side. Um, And then you've got the Playmobil uh, Aston Martin DV5, which I did get the Mickey taken out of me because I brought a Playmobil toy. Um, But it looks really cool, and the ejector seat works. And it came with finger and a load of little gold bars. Um, So that's quite a cool, fun little thing to have. Um, And then on the far right of that, um, I've got the Zippo lighter from Dr. No. It's just a commemorative one. I'm right at the back on the right-hand side there. That's one of the uh, official... It's quite old now. It's a gum card box. Most people probably, like the younger viewers, probably wouldn't know what gum, gum cards are. But when you used to buy bubble gum back in the day, you used to get probably six cards for whatever film franchise they were advertising at the time. So this this came in a little attachy box, and it's got every single gum card from those original sets, which is quite cool. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's in the back there as well. Um, and then some random doll, a Dr. Noll, an Ursula Andress doll. It's so Japanese, it's very odd. Um, it's got... The, the doll doesn't look like her. I'd be offended if I was Ursula Andress. It's very strange. <laughs> um, but it's a good bit of fun. Uh, and I saw it in like some comic book collector's store. It was like six quid or something. I just don't think they could have got rid of it. <laughs> it was the only one they had. Um, so yeah, that is really weird. Um, but yeah, so that's in there as well.
1: Um, and the next one looks like a a movie poster of some sort. Will I be right?
2: Yeah. So this was the teaser poster for Quantum Solace, um, and I preferred this poster. Uh, I think po- movie posters these days are really really lazy. Um, they're quite boring. If you look at the old posters of time, not just Bond films, but old posters, they were, they were great. They had loads of art on them. You know, nowadays it just seems a picture of Daniel Craig looking moody and there's your poster. Um, this one was quite cool because it was a, a steal from the actual teaser trailer they released for Quantum. But also the same outfit that he wore at the end of um, Casino Royale. With the the big like MP five or org or whatever gun it is, um, so it's really cool. So that that's that's one of my uh, one of my cool posters. It's actually signed by everyone. Um, I don't know why I had done it, but I did. But me and my sister went to the Quantum Premiere, um, and bless her. Um, while I was looking all dapper in my tux, and her in her ball dress, she uh, <laughs> she had a poster under her arm, um, and we'd folded it. Not like as in a a complete tight fold, but just put it in some, um, a long bit of cardboard to keep it like the shape to it. Um, And yeah, she was, she was amazing. She walked around and she asked, asked them if they could sign it. Um, And Daniel Craig at that time was in a sling because he badly hurt his arm. And uh, she said, oh yeah, Mr. Craig, you know, could you, could you sign this? And he was like, I can't. I can't reach down to it, you know. You know, I'm so sorry. And We're like, that's fine, you know. Thanks, for, you know. Thanks for talking to us, kind of thing, you know. And he kind of stepped away, and then he, he came back. and went, oh, whatever. And he, he took his arm out the sling and signed it for her. Um, little did he know, it wasn't for her; it was for me. But you know, clearly he'd done it just because she was a lovely little girl. Um, but yeah, so we've got that on there. Um, obviously, uh, Michael G. Wilson. You've got. Um, Got all of them on there. Gemma Arterton, Colleen, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, I can't remember it. Camille, um, um So yeah, they they all signed it. Dominic Green signed it, um, and Jack White as well, which was really really cool. So it's um, yeah, that's that's a really nice poster, and that's that's on my wall. I've got um, each poster from Craig's films on on my wall.
0: So these next few photos, Luke, it looks like you are replicating Jules Lazenby's pose.
2: Yeah, so um, I went to a Comic Con and um, I'd done a few still pictures with with a very, very close friend of mine, Stephen, who always portrayed Blofeld um, and really looked like him. It was fantastic. And we'd done a few pictures and people thought we were doing a film or something. And they're like, no, 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 we're not. Um, so, long story short, I went home four or five months. I wrote a, a forty-five-minute script uh, to what I called "Forgotten Past," and it was my own little James Bond script. Um, and we started; we filmed it. I just used contacts I met from um, Comic Con, Ben Maynard, who has uh, got his own little production company, um, Bad Mosquito, um, and we we filmed a Bond trailer. Like we we blagged everything. We um, we got a London filming permit. Um, we were officially allowed to film on the London cable cars, um, which was a crazy story in its own. But I I really wanted to do and my gun barrel, because I play Bond, obviously. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to do Lazenby's gun barrel because I loved how he used to drop to his knee and shoot, because it's like he's dodging the other gun. It's brilliant. Um, and one of my, my mates who was in the film with me said, Well, why don't we do the Lazenby thing in London. So I was like, oh, right, Lazenby lamppost. Yeah, we could do. But I was like, there is no way in hell you are getting a Wolf of PPK outside the Houses of Parliament and Big Ben. It ain't happening. And he's like, no, no, we can we can sort something. We'll sort it. So we went up there and I had my old grey suit on, my woven black tie. So everything was literally the same as what he was wearing. Um, and I jumped up on Lazenby lamppost. And so you can even see in the left that there, is there's literally... People walking past and you know pedestrians, and um yeah, so I jumped up' done a couple of the poses without the gun or anything, just to get the angle right, and it's just nearly there i could i I arched the wrong leg, which is annoying, um but yeah, very, very close, and then when my photographer was like, right you ready?" I was like, yeah, let's do it he, he threw the wolf for PPK to me, we'd done literally four or five shots of each pose. I threw the gun back at him, and we all dis- we just ran away. We just disappeared. <laughs> it must have looked so weird. Um, and on that bridge, there's um, there's also a scene where Pierce Brosnan filmed Die Another Day, where he went into an abandoned station for abandoned agents. And um, that was our meeting point back there. And, yeah, there you, there you go. Um, I'm probably the only person that's done the Lazenby lamppost still um, with a gun. And I showed George Lazenby, and he loved it. He said it was really great, so... It's not a real gun, by the way. It's a, it's an airsoft gun, just in case I get the police <laughs> come around. You know, <laughs> I have a license for it.
1: That's uh, uh, an awesome photo, like that. Uh, so moving on, it looks like we we're coming a little bit more modern. You talk us through this one.
2: Yeah, so this is um this is my Spectre collection. Um, I think I've added a few more bits since I sent the photos over. Um, but we've got um so the Spectre watch. Um, a lot of people think that's one of the best Craig watches. Um. And it was, I think it's the first one that he wore that actually, it was, it was the first one he wore that actually had a gadget in it. It had some, uh, an explosive in there. Uh, so the alarm was quite rather loud, um, which is great because that was what defigured, disfigured, sorry, um, Blofeld in his movies. Um, we have the Tom Ford sunglasses at the front there. He wore two pairs in that. Um, the other pairs are just off to the left, but I've got the, the north, uh, yeah, the main ones at the front there. Uh, the Spectre Ring. So that was um, actually produced by uh, the same company that made them for the film over in Pyman Studios. Um, so that doesn't come out of the box. Uh, my nan brought that for me uh, just before she passed away, bless her. Um, so that's that's quite a collectible. Um, I've got the Walford PPK there in the Vega holder. That's the, the little uh, suede pouch that he has in the film that you see him place on, the, on a little tray. And then the Day of the Dead... Figure oh and an Amiga pen there as well I think there is yeah
1: and uh, next up we've got what looks like a selection of uh, guns and alcohol
2: yeah an alcoholic's dream uh, yeah this is I don't drink these by the way so just before you think I'm some crazy alcoholic um, yeah this is this is a cool little collection actually on the far left hand side that big silver bottle um, I f- I may be wrong I'm not a big big drinker, but I think it's called a Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and it's uh, a vodka, Belvedere vodka. And they produced only a handful of these um, when Spectre was coming out. Um, and basically the whole bottle it's silver. You can see that blue trim. has got 007. It's never been opened. But the really cool thing is if you turn the bottle around, it's got 007 etched into the glass on the back of it. And it's got a little hidden button. If you press a button, the whole thing glows blue, which is quite cool. Um, because I was one of the lucky ones that got it. Um, Belvedere invited me to a private screening of the movie. Um, and I nicked one of the martini glasses cause they were handing out martinis and that martini glass in front of it is engraved spectre, um, Belvedere. And, uh, yeah, me and my sister, I'm not going to lie. We had about 12 of those glasses at the end of the night. So she's got <laughs> some in her house and I've got some and I gave my, my good friend, Stephen one of them as well. Um, couple of Bollingers, so we've got the anniversary edition of Bollinger in the uh, brown box with the green glass front. Uh, it's got a little push button on it where it elevates and opens and the, the bottle comes out on its own. Um, the one on the left, um, which the, uh, the glass is resting on, it was actually modelled on um, the suppressor or the silencer uh, for Bond's gun. And that, that houses a, a bottle of Bollinger. My best mate brought me that when I was his best man. Um, and a remote remote controlled Aston at the bottom And a couple of the Wolfer P99s um, That one in the middle is from Wiki Toys And they produced them Believe it or not That you could just walk into your corner shops And pick up a, a replica gun really It's only a cap gun But I'm not being funny You walk into a bank pointing at someone You're know, you you're not going to be walking back out um, Back in the day uh, And then the uh, Daniel Craig Bollinger On the far right hand side yeah, that's, that's just the No Time to Die stuff. Um, that's the most recent, obviously, with the Bond watch and uh, a couple of the extra props. Um.
1: Um, well, thank you for sharing your collection with us, and also thank you for sharing the time on the podcast. Um, for those of you who are interested in learning a bit more, check out Instagram, Live Like 7 And for the listeners out there, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on The Rating Room.
0: Well, that's this week's episode done. We hope you enjoyed it.
1: Special thanks to the band Sugar Tongue for the theme tune to The Rating Room. You can find them on all the usual social media channels and be sure to check out their song the system, available now on Spotify.
0: You can find and message us on Twitter, Facebook, TikTok and Instagram by searching The Rating Room.
1: You'll find all our social media links on our website, theratingroom.com and subscribe to our YouTube channel or feel free to drop us an email the rating room at gmail.com goodbye thanks for listening and we'll see you next week right here on the rating room